Hello and welcome to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and this week all eyes are on energy. Lots of things are happening there with energy ministers meeting twice this week to talk and negotiate about the next steps on EU's energy independency, renewables and fit for 55. To hear more on this, I spoke with Norwegian scientist Nils Roque and Euractiv's Kira Taylor. Hello, let's start with you, Kira. There were discussions at the beginning of this week. What are the thorny issues for the EU energy ministers and leaders? This week, um, energy and environment ministers had back-to-back meetings in Luxembourg to try and finalise their positions on most of the Fit for 55 climate package. So this package of new legislation and revised legislation that was tabled by the European Commission in July last year. Um, So the way EU legislation works, for anyone who isn't a nerd like me, um, EU countries find their position, they discuss it amongst themselves to find a position, Parliament does the same, and then they come together and negotiate. So this was the uh, EU countries bringing together all of their views to reach their position for this negotiation with the Parliament. And it was on this climate package, which is this huge overhaul. Um, A lot of controversial issues were discussed, particularly on the Tuesday, which is why it ran so late. Um, But it now means that the European Council or these EU countries have decided on their stance on pretty much everything, um, barring the energy taxation directive, which is a bit of a no-go anyway. But one thing we are seeing, because obviously this was tabled in July last year, since we've had the energy crisis, we've had the invasion of Ukraine, and both of those have really changed the the narrative around this. So you both have countries who are maybe a bit concerned about the, the high levels of energy prices and whether this climate legislation will push up those prices, particularly for vulnerable consumers. But you also have this more urgent need to phase out fossil fuels and particularly um, uh, energy that comes from Russia. And staying on what you just mentioned, Kira, about the urgent need uh, for alternative sources of energy. And uh, since the EU and Norway reached an agreement to further strengthen their close cooperation in the field of energy, aiming to deepen their long-term energy partnership. I spoke with Norwegian uh, scientist uh, Nils Roque. Now, Mr. Roque, can the EU be independent when it comes to energy? Does it have the capacity and why is it important for Europe to be independent? The strategic autonomy is, I think, is extremely important um, and that there is... uh, good link with um, uh, states which um, well uh, adhere to the the kind of uh, the western narrative of, of good uh, democracies and so forth and um, um, i think the the last week has also seen or the last weeks also seen the um, the demand for do this to have predictable supplies of uh, energy as we have seen the the gas flows has been even further reduced from Russia than what has been um, envisaged uh, through the the North Stream reduction of capacity. And um, I see that there is now a growing concern that um, with a a drop in the uh, gas um, uh, import from from Russia, um, there will be some issues uh, concerning the um uh, stocking and uh, natural gas for the winter and how europe can 
become self-sufficient um, or more self-sufficient even in the short term to 2027. I mean, most of these um, analysis have kind of presumed that there will be a, the same incoming flow from from Russia as it has been before, but uh, these disruptions, which now is claimed to be due to technical issues like uh, uh, refurbishing compressors and so forth, um, is co- causing a lot of concern because you know the the how how is Europe going to to fill the the gap of Russian gas is mainly through diversifying the imports. Uh, that means from the other sources which are available, for instance, also from, from Norway, but also LNG. But um, with the current job we've seen, uh, maybe maybe it's hard to see how, it's hard to see how LNG can f- fill that gap. And what's the best way for the EU to negotiate with its exterior energy providers? EU wants to negotiate deals as a unit, union, so 27 countries, rather than to go country by country and to bid for the same LNG or, or the same energy security from uh, various countries. I think that that's going to be uh, key or else you will have a race. Um, I've seen, for instance, I've seen the the gas prices has uh, has risen about... Um, about 50% be, because of the the last developments now on on North Stream, and um, it's uh, a concern that you can get into energy poverty in in Europe, and the only way to to uh, to bolster for that is is really for the countries to work as a unit and to uh, have these kind of agreements as as uh, as a union and. Um, um, well, who knows? Maybe there will be some caps put on what price can be um, delivered to to the consumers, and that you will also see some social schemes, which um, support schemes, which uh, needs to be developed. Um, the energy poverty uh, issue uh, will increase in Europe. And Mr. Roque, you already mentioned uh, renewables. What does the future hold for renewables? What can be done? You need to divide into short, medium, and, and long term. Um, and um, I think there's never been such a high boost for developing and deploying renewables as we've seen now. So in many ways, it's um, well, it's a tra- tragic backdrop, of course. But the mobilization towards developing more wind and and solar and to uh, do a- energy efficiency and the savings and the look into buildings. This really has a huge boost. You also need to to do something about the permitting uh, rules and the policies of deploying these kind of uh, of technologies, and um, to cut uh, red tape or, as someone has stated, the green tape, <laughs> to to get to these uh, these um, the new levels. In principle, I mean, it's possible to become independent. But it will take uh, time and it will uh, sh- surely take more than uh, the time up to 2030 to make this uh, this happen. I mean, recalling that wind farms at present take seven, eight years to, to permit and to get up and running. And solar, maybe a half of that. This cannot continue if you're going to reach those kind of targets. If we don't see uh, an increase in the inflow of, of, of gas to Europe and to store for the winter, 
Um, I, I think we will see situations where you could end up in, for, inst for instance, rationing of gas in some countries. The permitting process um, to speed up, I think, is, is going to be key. Now, also reflecting that it has to take into account biodiversity and, and land use as part of that. But the bureaucratic uh, part of the permitting should be cut uh, to the extent which is, uh, which is possible. And talking about processes and what can be done to speed them up, I am coming back to you, Kira. There were two back-to-back -back meetings, as we said already. They started on Monday, focusing on renewables directive. How did this pan out? So the Monday meeting was the meeting of energy ministers. So that was focusing on the more energy-related sides of the Fit for 55 climate package. So the energy efficiency directive and the renewable energy directive. Now, both of those, we saw the European Commission up the ambition in its plan to phase out Russian fossil fuels. The thing is, the French presidency, who are in charge of these negotiations, kind of decided not to include that in the conversation. So for the Renewable Energy Directive, the ministers agreed on a 40% uh, renewable energy target by 2030, which is higher than um, the one before, and it's, it's a lot of progress that the EU needs to do to reach it. But the Commission asked the Parliament and the Council to go up to 45% in its um, plan to get off Russian fossil fuels. So we're going to see in these negotiations with the Parliament that push to get them up. And unfortunately for us journalists and anyone who likes watching it, um, a lot of the negotiations are behind closed doors. So a lot of the big battles behind uh, around raising that target we may not see. Um, then on energy efficiency, there was a big change that was put forward really at the very last minute by Spain. Um, so under the energy efficiency directive, you had two different targets and both of them were binding. Spain came forward and said, okay, let's keep our binding target for energy efficiency in end use. So consumers who maybe when you put um, the energy efficiency of cars and industry and housing but take it away from primary energy consumption, so the uh, energy efficiency of things like power stations. Um, that benefits certain uh, energy producers, particularly hydrogen. And so we're kind of wondering whether this is part of the hydrogen hype to make this target um, indicative rather than binding, so water it down. Um, the Germans then closed a loophole, which the Spanish had opened, um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of EU ministers kind of jumped on this because they realised that actually it would benefit them. Um, so that was definitely a watering down. And um, we'll see again what happens when it comes to the European Parliament, whether the Parliament try and push them back up. Now, Monday check, let's move to the second meeting uh, on Tuesday, which was, I think, uh, also the most important one. What was the outcome? So Tuesday was the day of real drama. Um, you know, you had the French presiden presidency kind of riding high on the success of Monday. Um, you had ministers coming in going, oh, well, we really want to find a compromise. It's so important to find a compromise. And within a couple of hours, that had fallen apart. Um, so there was this morning session where ministers were going to discuss um, 
the carbon market, so a carbon price, and the extension of that to road transport and buildings. Um, the Social Climate Fund, which is tied into that as a way of protecting consumers, but also helping the most vulnerable um, in the green transition. So maybe helping them with clean energy or, or clean um, mobility. You then had uh, CO2 standards for cars. Um, the big thing there was this phase out of the internal combustion engine. Um, those three were the most controversial. Um, and you also had the effort sharing regulation, which is kind of this very niche thing, which not many people talk about in Fit for 55, but it has um, national level reduction targets for certain sectors for each country um, and a regulation on land use and forestry. So both of those, I mean, not everyone was happy about them, but they kind of, we could see they were going to make an agreement on those. The other three, we could see in that morning session that there was a lot of issues with it. Um, so the French presidency couldn't find this uh, general stance, what's called a general approach, um, and went away to find a new compromise. Um, and they kind of got on with the rest of the meeting. Um, the French presidency then came back in the evening and said, well, here you go, guys, we think this will work. And it caused huge divisions um, and kind of seemed to backfire a bit because instead of EU ministers coming together around it, they basically decided all the things they hated against it. And we could really see them moving into two camps. So you had one camp who were pushing for certain things in the emissions trading scheme, another who was saying, well, if we do that, it's actually ridiculous. We shouldn't touch that at all. Um, and then you also had the social climate funds, some people saying it was way too much, some people saying it was way too little. So that was at about 8pm yesterday. And we were really beginning to be concerned because it, it actually got worse from the morning. Um, so the French presidency went away again, uh, told everyone to go and get dinner. Um, we'd actually already got dinner. Um, quick bit of trivia, we had to get some pizza through the security of the European Council building. Um, so it's the first time I've ever put pizza through an airport security scanner. Hopefully the last time as well, because it was a very weird experience. Um, but we had pizza, so we were okay. <laughs> and um, the French presidency finally came back around 1am um, with a deal that was agreed by ministers that there was some grumbling about it, um, particularly from countries which wanted more from the Social Climate Fund. Also, uh, some countries were still quite concerned about the size of the Social Climate Fund. So again, that's a real issue, but it was agreed. Um, and at 2am, all of the countries came together and agreed. There were some countries which um, didn't agree with it, but enough supported it that it can go forward into these negotiations. So what happens next? Next up, we have these negotiations with the European Parliament. Um, the Parliament still needs to find some positions on energy, energy efficiency and renewable energy. But a lot of what the EU ministers decided yesterday, the Parliament have already found their position on. Um, so we now have the French presidency changing into the Czech presidency. And there are hopes that we could have the first uh, what's called a trilogue. So when the uh, Commission, European Parliament and EU Council come together, um, we're hoping we could have that first trilogue in July. I've been told that the aim is to finalise this by December. 
If so, that would mean that this this climate package was proposed, negotiated and finalised in a year and a half, which would be extremely impressive. Um, we are seeing the EU move quite quickly on this type of thing, but it, it's still a, a huge amount of work. Um, and we are going to start seeing some big battles because the European Parliament and the European countries have very different stances on certain things, um, particularly when it comes well, the Social Climate Fund and this extension of the carbon price to road transport and buildings. They're controversial for everyone, but the, the European Parliament has got a slightly different take on it to um, EU countries, and that's going to have to be worked out. Um there's also something called free allowances, which are basically these free permits to pollute under the emissions trading scheme. And the European Parliament has been really pushing to get rid of those. EU countries don't want to get rid of them so quickly. And that's going to be another big point of contention in these trilogues. Um, the other issue is that, you know, this is a very interconnected file. And EU countries have treated free allowances in a different way to the European Parliament. They've treated them under a different file. So I'm kind of expecting, I'm both hoping for and dreading um, this kind of super trilogue of um, maybe the common border adjustment mechanism, which deals with phasing out free allowances, um, the emissions trading scheme, and also probably the social climate fund, because that's tied into the ETS. So it would be very interesting. Um, I wouldn't want to be the person who is having to organize it. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am Evie Kiori and this was Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. We will be back on your feed next week. Visit Euractiv.com for the latest news. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by me with the help of Kira Taylor and Nils Roque. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>